Holy God, now even as we come to your word, we have heard it read, and we pray that by your Spirit's power, it might be the word of life to those who hear and believe today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It is Thanksgiving week. It's one of my favorite weeks of the year. And we have this convergence Sunday here where it is both Thanksgiving week on the calendar for many of us. It's also Christ the King week in terms of the church calendar. This is the culmination of the year for the church calendar. We began last December in the season of Advent, in the darkness, looking for the light of the one who is to come, that is Jesus Christ. And we come to this final Sunday of the year before we begin again, acknowledging that all things lead toward his kingship over all of creation, all things seen and unseen, all things in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that is the point to which everything in the cosmos is driving. Thanks be to God, right? But today we think about our thanksgivings in terms of uh, the meal that is coming this week for many of us, right? And all of us have something probably that is a part of that meal that we appreciate more than others. Some like the turkey and some like the cornbread dressing and the whatever it might be that they're bringing. Mine is a very, my favorite is a very humble part of the Thanksgiving meal. It's that cranberry sauce that comes out of the can and goes plop on the plate. And it goes great with everything else that's on the table. Now, initially, when I married into Carolyn's family and I first made my request for such, they looked at me like I was some sort of unwashed Philistine (laughs) who could not appreciate the finer things in life, but in their humility and in their welcome for me, they now have it at every Thanksgiving meal that we share with them. We celebrate today that we all have something to bring because God has given us all something to bring to the feast. And all of the things that we bring and all of the things that we experience throughout this life are culminating in the day when Christ is crowned once and for all as Lord of all. As Paul writes in Philippians, at the name of Jesus, every knee on heaven and on earth and under the earth And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's where everything is going. Now, as we talk about the kingship of Jesus and the reign of Christ in this world, there's a tension that we find throughout Scripture. In the Gospel of John, we find Jesus being interrogated by Pontius Pilate. And remember what Pilate asked him. He said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus kind of starts to play word games with him a little bit. But these are the words that end up on the sign above his head on the cross as he is killed. Jesus Christ, King of the Jews. Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my followers would be fighting to keep me from being handed over. But as it is, my kingdom is not from here. Pilate asked him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say I'm a king. For this I was born and for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who does the truth, who belongs to the truth, listens to my voice. Pilate made the same mistake that remember, even Jesus' own disciples made during those times. They thought when they talk about Jesus being the king, he was going to set up his eternal kingdom on this earth. 
They expected him to overthrow the Romans, to kick them out, and to reestablish a kingdom founded and centered in Israel. But Jesus said that his kingdom was not of this world. And this is an important piece for us to remember as well, as people who hail him as our king. He's the only one to whom we have the greatest allegiance in our lives. But his kingdom is not of this world. He's not seeking a nation of his own to conquer the others. But what does it mean for Christ to be the king? If it's not to set up an earthly kingdom, if it's not to expand the borders of a country or nation, what does it mean for Jesus to be a king and to have a kingdom on this earth? The passage from Revelation is the introduction to the apocalypse of John in Revelation. Jesus is introduced as the one who is coming in the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on his account, all the tribes of the earth will be blessed, shall wail. There is right from the start of Revelation a sense that everything on earth is coming to an end in this spectacular moment of judgment in Christ to issue in a new era that all things are literally under his feet as he descends through the clouds. But what I want us to sit with a little bit this morning is to ask what kind of king Jesus is. What are the words that describe him here in Revelation? The faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. I think we have here a couple of distinct descriptions that we can emphasize in the Lordship of Christ that make him different. For as the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, we find a unique witness for Jesus Christ as the king of all things. First, as a faithful witness, he is faithful. He carried forth the mission to which his Father in heaven sent him to do, even unto death on a cross. He was willing to do that because of his faithfulness. But this word witness that is coupled with faithful is also the same word from which we derive martyr. The one who would go all the way to death because of what God has created and called him to be. Faithfulness extends all the way until we return to God. He revealed faithfully who God is and who God is calling us to be. And by virtue of that faithfulness, God raised him up to be the firstborn among the dead. Jesus is the foretaste of what God's full plan is throughout all of time and creation. For even as he is the first one to escape the clutches of death and of hell, so he will bring his whole company with him. As the apostle Paul writes, if he has been raised, so shall we all be raised by the same power. Jesus is the firstborn of the great plan of God, the great mission of God to rescue his people, Jesus shows us the way and empowers the way for those who will follow. And finally, he writes that he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. Now, does this mean that on earth, every single ruler of every single nation gives honor and glory and deference to the Lord Jesus Christ? Certainly not. In fact, you could probably argue the opposite of most of the rulers of the earth. 
that they aggrandize themselves and their own nations above the kingdom of God. But what it does mean is that God's sovereign will over all things and they, is that they are moving toward the day when Christ descends in the clouds and fully establishes himself as the king of all things seen and unseen. All things in this physical and spiritual creation, nations and people will all alike be under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ when he appears. He is the king of all things. These are the descriptions of King Jesus in relation to the world as a whole, in relation to all of creation, in relation to everything going on around us. But there is another level of his kingship and that is in your life and mine and in his church. What does it mean personally for us? For it's one thing to acknowledge that there is a God and King over all things in creation, it is quite another to give our allegiance to this one who is described in Revelation chapter one and in all of scripture. There is something intimate about Jesus' character with respect to who we are as God's children. Jesus is called the one who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. What does it mean internally for us, personally, and for us as a church to say Jesus is King? In our own lives, individually and corporately. It means that we know the one who loves us. Isn't that good news? Isn't it good news that the king of all things is also the one who is described as the one who loves us, the one who has freed us, not by fiat, but by the cost of his own blood that he has poured out for us. That is good news, something the only he could do. For Jesus to live and to reign in our lives individually and in his body, the church, we begin to understand that there is good news in that, in that kingship. Most kings don't have to be loving toward their subjects, right? They demand the loyalty and the love of their subjects. In fact, most don't seem to be loving or kind toward their subjects at all. It's not really in human nature to do so. Most believe that their subjects exist for their own glory, for their own kingdom, for their own coffers to be filled. But King Jesus is different. King Jesus gives us another way to live and to reign in this world on his behalf. He loves us so much that he is humble and gentle and he even gave his life as the faithful witness to the point of death on a cross for us and for our salvation. Is that the king to whom you would give allegiance today? Is that the king who calls us to be part of his kingdom today? He's a different king than the ones that we know. He calls us to be his own. As the returning king, he sets us free from the reign of sin and of evil in this world. And here's where it gets really personal as well. When our king sets us free from sin, he, he releases us from the captivity in which we have been held. Now, does that being freed from sin mean that when we come to King Jesus, we no longer sin? We can stop doing the prayer of confession every week, 
because we've gotten past that? Heavens no. We probably need more prayers of confession, don't we? But it does mean that we no longer give allegiance to the ways of sin and death. We no longer acquiesce to the ways of sin and death in our own lives and in this world because our king has said in his kingdom, they have no power. In our lives, we submit ourselves not to the, the standards of this world that say everything in your life should be about your self-fulfillment, your self-expression, your self-happiness. And we say, no, everything in my life should be about the kingdom of my king and God who lives and reigns over all things. This king who has loved me and given himself for me and he loves you and he has given himself for you. He's a different kind of king. And his kingdom that comes into our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit allows us to be free. And it calls us to receive the identity that he gives us. It calls us to receive the law that he gives us and to truly believe that in obedience to him is true freedom in life. In contrast, to what we're told so often in the world. There our freedom is in obedience to him and to what he has revealed to us. In our king, we have identity and obedience. Note well that it is no human. It's not a preacher or a pope or a parent that brings you freedom in your life, that leads truly the church of Jesus Christ. It is him alone that gives us our identity and our culture of obedience to him. Whether the issue is how we treat our neighbors or how we spend our money or how we raise our kids or how we worship on a Sunday morning, all things are brought under his rule in his kingdom. They all belong to him for he is the king of all things. And we trust that in obedience to those things, he, we find true freedom. The way of freedom in Christ is the way not of the boisterous and loud and braggadocious king, but of the humble servant king named Jesus, who washed the feet of the ones who were supposed to serve him. He's the faithful witness, the one who lays down his life so that we can be free from sin. That's the king who's calling us to freedom. He's the one whom we serve. But we are not set free from sin for our own ends. John writes that Jesus has set us free to be a part of the kingdom of God, to be a kingdom together, to be a priesthood together. So friends, please hear this word today that in this time of isolation from one another, that God doesn't call us to be solitary Christians. He calls us to be part of his kingdom together, part of his priesthood together. This is such an important part of our vision as a church. We're inviting people to life in Christ, what lived together. Because our King Jesus calls us not just to be a Christian in our own home or in a pew on a Sunday, but together with the whole family of God as a priesthood serving our God and Father in heaven. 
The kingship of Christ over our lives sets us free from sin so that we can be set free for service to God. Both sides are true, a freedom from and a freedom for. That is for loving the world and working for justice and for peace and for holiness that would honor our king. That's what we do. That's what it means to be his priesthood. We do this together as God's family and our church's vision statement reminds us of the importance of that, that you and I are not alone. Is that good news for anybody today? Even for some watching online as we are so isolated from one another, you are not alone. You are part of the family of God and not just this family here, but of the church of Jesus Christ throughout all times and places. Those who have named Jesus Christ as Lord and he is their king. You are part of that family and of that kingdom and of that priesthood. It's the beauty of his kingship that liberates us from the shackles of this world. And when we acknowledge the kingship of Christ in our lives, we have true hope that is not just for our lives, but a hope that extends through this broken world around us as well. That God is not just coming to save my soul, he is coming to make all things new all of creation to be restored. This is big God stuff that we're talking about. John Calvin writes beautifully about this in his commentary on Romans 14, on the passage that the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Calvin writes this. These words briefly teach what the kingdom of Christ bestows upon us so that we can patiently live at present under toil, hunger, cold, contempt, disgrace, and other annoyances, contented with this one thing, that our King will never abandon us, that he will supply all of our needs until our warfare is ended and we are called to glory. He goes on, such being the nature of his kingdom that he communicates to us whatever he received of his father. Since then he arms and equips us by his power, adorns us with splendor and magnificence, enriches us with all spiritual wealth. We here find most abundant cause of praise and also are inspired with boldness so that we can contend intrepidly with the devil, sin and death. Until in the end, clothed with Christ's righteousness, we can bravely surmount all the insults of the world and he replenishes us liberally with his gifts so we can in turn bring forth fruit unto his glory. How is it that in the kingdom of this world we are able to endure toil, hunger, cold, loneliness, anxiety, isolation, because as Calvin said, we are contented with this one thing. Our king will not abandon us and he will provide for everything that we need. Do we trust God and our King Jesus like that? Do we trust him like that? That is the gift that his kingship gives us. There are some choices in life that we 
make and there are some issues in life for which we do not get a vote. I know this is offensive to us as Americans sometimes. The kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ is not a matter of democracy. It is a matter of objective truth, which we find in scripture and affirm as the family of God. He is the king who shall return to judge all that is seen and unseen, who will set all things just and right. The place of our choice is how we will live in light of that truth. As those who know the truth of King Jesus and his reign, how will we live? We do have a choice of whether we will live in light of that reality of his kingship or we will live the rules by the rules of this world. Will we live at the rules of me and my world and my happiness and my fulfillment or we will live in light of the kingship of Jesus who sets us free from sin? The call from King Jesus is to be freed from the tyranny that we place ourselves under to follow the freedom of the one who washed the feet of his disciples to usher in his kingdom, to believe in the one who said, I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. He is the one who invites you to come and be part of his kingdom, be part of the priesthood which serves the Lord and the people whom God loves around us. That king is the one to whom we bring our offerings today. That is the one to whom we commit these cards today that we bring forth. I had the opportunity this week to have lunch with Sam and Olive Cornwell. And as I was sitting, as I entered the building really, Sam beat me to the punch and he said, I want to be the first to give you my commitment card. So you're all behind him. (laughs) But the opportunity is not to be first, it's to be part of it to be part of the movement of God here at Westminster. If you're a visitor or a guest today, please feel free to stay right where you are. Or if you would like to make your own commitment to Christ, you can write that in and put it on the table here this morning. But as we sing the hymn together this morning, we wanna invite you to come and make your commitments to the King because of his grace and thanksgiving for all that he has done. Let us give our commitments to him. Let us pray this morning. Oh God, you are so good to us. We confess today to you that you are the King. You are the one who lives and reigns with the Father and the Spirit, one God forever. You spoke this world into creation and you shall bring it all to consummation. We thank you for calling us your children. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for setting us free. And so God, today, as we enter your house. We thank you that you have met us here. Allow us to lift up our voices one more time because of your great love and because of your praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.